الجزيرة بودكاست European MPs pass a draft law to keep a check on risks posed by AI. The AI Act could serve as a framework for creating a global watchdog, but could it also stifle innovation? I'm Mohamed Jamjoum, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. All right, for more on all this, I'm joined by our guests. In Chicago is Atusa Kasirzadeh. Director of Research at the Center for Technomoral Futures at the University of Edinburgh. She's also Senior Policy Fellow on Social and Policy Implications of Generative AI for UK Research and Innovation. In New York is Mark Simpson, tech entrepreneur and CEO of Pillar, an interview intelligence platform using AI technology. And also in Chicago is David Kruger, Professor of Machine Learning at the University of Cambridge. His work focuses on existential safety in AI learning. A warm welcome to you all. Thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Atusa, let me start with you today. This draft law that has been passed by European MPs, how significant a step is this towards setting a rule book for artificial intelligence going forward? Um, I think it's a significant first step for sure, but a very difficult and long uh, way ahead of us. Um, I am really happy to see how Uh, Europe, um, especially with uh, working on this act, is really trying to talk and think very carefully and responsibly about the regulations of AI in the um, in, in the world. And so I think this is definitely a significant act because it also shows to the other continents and other countries in the world that we are able to do something. And so this is the first step. Let's continue the work together. David, the last time I spoke with you earlier this month, uh, you, along with tech leaders and scientists, had issued a warning about the perils posed by artificial intelligence. Does this draft law that has passed make you feel that the warnings that you and others have issued about AI are now being taken more seriously? I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm also happy to see this legislation uh, being passed. Um, But it's been in the works for a long time, since long before we made that statement. And it's certainly not geared specifically at existential risk. I think it's more geared at the kind of problems we were already seeing, you know, five years ago when people started uh, drafting the law. Mark, On the other hand, uh, there has been, you know, a lot of other signs that people are starting to think more about existential risk. So I am encouraged by recent developments, but not this one in particular. Oh, David, if I could follow up with you, what are some of the other signs that you're seeing that make you believe that others are now factoring in the so-called existential threats? Um, I think I was just talking to a lot of people, um, including, you know, uh, on media like this. But uh, I guess also the U.K. government has has made public statements about this. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what exactly their plans are or that I uh, that they're doing all of the right things there. But um, at least they're, you know saying that they are taking it seriously and trying to convene leaders, at least with, you know, the U.S. to talk about this. I think it's still maybe missing the full international scope that we need uh, to really handle this effectively. We need to include other countries like China as well. Um, but it might be a step in the right direction. Uh, maybe too soon to say, though. Uh, Mark, so if governments are now racing to regulate AI, what are some of the concrete steps that can be taken from your perspective uh, that would make sure that creativity and that innovation aren't stifled? Yeah, we, we welcome this new new policy from, from the EU, and I, I think it just has to be applied in, in the right way. Um, and the, the, the right way for innovation and the right way for creativity is just making sure that there is regulation around some of the cores and some of the bad actors that, that happen out there. 
I mean, there are still many laws in place that you cannot use um, any kind of technology, whether it's AI or, or, or anything else, um, for bad acting. Um, and if we if we follow the laws that are currently in place right now and apply those in a way um, in which is relevant to AI and with the same ethos, um, I think this could be a very encouraging step forward. Uh, Atus, uh, um, AI, of course, has also become a focus of concern when it comes to the, it, the potential to create misinformation, uh, also when it comes to deepfake technology. Uh, these are AI-generated images and videos that, that mimic people. Um, how worried, from your perspective, should we be about this at this particular time? Yeah, I think we should definitely be very worried, especially with the advancements and the developments of um, generative models that we are seeing. Uh, we we are going to get better and better synthetic media that is produced, um, basically the content like images or text or videos or audio voices that are generated by these technologies. And sometimes um, it is very hard for humans um, to kind of like judge whether the content that they are seeing on social media, other platforms is generated by an AI system or is generated, uh, you know, by like a credible or it's coming from a credible source. Um, and I think uh, when we get to a situation where at a scale, at a social scale, we feel paralyzed in judging and distinguishing between um, the kind of content that is coming from credible sources and the kind of content that is generated by an AI system, I think then um, we, we basically are at the verge of a very um, kind of existential crisis, if, if I can call that, right? Because then basically the very threats of uh, democratic institutions, what does it mean to trust each other, what does it mean to trust uh, different governments and different uh, kind of institutions in any country, also globally, kind of would be loosened. And I, I don't have a positive vision of uh, the life after that kind of stage. David, I saw you uh, nodding along to some of what Atusa was saying there, and, and certainly she used the verbiage of saying that this is existential. That's a word that uh, you and your colleagues have used when talking about the threat posed by AI. Um, uh, how much uh, concern do you have that AI is developing faster than it can be controlled? And also, did you want to jump in and add to what Atusa was saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I have a lot of concern about that. I mean, that's why we created that statement. So I think... Um, yeah, definitely. That's that's my number one concern. Is that uh, you know, in general, we're just scratching the surface of how extreme uh, things could get with AI, both in terms of just the raw intelligence or power of the systems, but also the social impact that that'll lead to. Um, so I think you know, misinformation is definitely one issue that I think is important and that could have the kind of catastrophic consequences that Atusa mentioned, um, and I think could play a role in future existential risk scenarios. Um, I think it's interesting that we haven't seen it happen, like have an even larger impact already with the techniques that are out there. But I think we could be about to cross a threshold where it starts to really have some really huge impacts on our information ecosystem. Um, so I think about you know the the. 2024 election in the U.S. because I'm American. Um, I think there's also been growing reports of people using these systems for fraud, um, which is another risk that is, you know, related to this uh, fake news and the ability to, you know, synthesize voice and, and imitate people's voice and things like this. Um, and I believe that also uh, similar to tactics that um, Russia or operatives in Russia have used in the past uh, 2020 election, 
Um, they're similarly trying to sort of sow discord using more advanced generative AI techniques on social media platforms already. Um, this is something I heard about recently. Um, generally speaking, I think this issue of like sort of degrading trust is, is a really huge one. Like uh, I think it will probably push people to um, like sort of by necessity put more trust in large institutions like governments or the, the largest media companies, um, which, you know, uh, has has a number of consequences, right? So mm. right now, I think uh, we don't have to do that because we can still sort of verify for ourselves when we see um, some content, you know, that 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 thing really happened. It seems like, um, mm. but in the future, we might we might still be able to maintain uh, that kind of verifiability for a while using technical tools, but those tools will not be uh, right. things that are widely understood. So you'll have to defer to authority about whether or not to trust, you know, that this Mark content is legitimate more and more over time. Right, right. Uh, Mark, um, the, the rapid growth in AI uh, is raising global concerns when it comes to many different issues. But I want to ask you, uh, as a tech entrepreneur, uh, when people ask you if, due to AI, the jobs are now more under threat than before, what is your response? Um, I mean, as, as with any monumental sort of shift in the market, which I do see AI as part of that, same as the Industrial Revolution um, and uh, other, other shifts historically, um, yes, there will be certain jobs that are a threat in the market, um, but it, I see it more as a job shift and a skills shift in the market rather than we're all going to lose all of our jobs. Uh, there's, there's the opposing view as well that um, with AI alongside us to help us, um, to help us do our jobs and to help us add more value into society, there is a potential boom um, around the corner in, in the market that we are doing higher value jobs and getting paid more for it as well. Um, so I do believe there's going to be a shift um, and, and a significant shift in the skills that are that are needed. But I believe that actually AI can help us if we look forward into a uh, in, into the world in in years and decades to come. Well, concern is also being expressed by the United Nations Secretary General, who has backed calls for a global watchdog to ensure that artificial intelligence technology is safe, secure, responsible, and ethical. Alarm bells over the latest form of artificial intelligence, generative AI, are deafening. And they are loudest from the developers who designed it. The scientists and experts have called on the world to act, declaring AI an existential threat to humanity on a par with the risk of nuclear war. We must take those warnings seriously. Atusa, the U.N. Secretary General has also backed a proposal for the creation of an international watchdog to monitor AI. Um, from your vantage point, how long might that take to become a reality? So I just want to say that this whole process is going to be absolutely complicated. And basically, many, um, many kind of organizations like U.N. need to listen to the voices of lots of different experts. Just saying that we are going to have a watchdog to monitor AI does not mean too much because AI can mean anything. Basically, in simple terms, any kind of algorithmic system that can do some kind of reasoning is an AI system. So what does it mean to say we want to monitor AI? Then there is this very complicated task of interpreting this notion. I think the very, the very statement that we need to kind of like have a think about 
the conception of a watchdog to monitor AI. It's great. But when we compare, for example, this proposal with the proposal for, uh, for, for with the watchdog for monitoring the development of um, kind of nuclear energy, we see there are so many different differences between these two proposals. They're both watchdogs, proposal for watchdogs to monitor a kind of a system. But for the case of like um, basically the, uh, the, the the monitoring of the um, nuclear energy, we can distinguish or we can basically inhibit the use of nuclear energy or sorry, nuclear, yeah, nuclear energy, nuclear technologies for military purposes. That makes sense. But if we say, okay, let's kind of like uh, inhibit the use of AI system for military purposes, that just does not make sense because I think most of the countries in the world are using one or many other versions of AI in their mm. military development. So we need to be very careful when we, when it comes to the interpretation of these terms. And I think this is going to be a very complicated process. And the best we can do is just to bring in different voices, different stakeholders together and do like very complicated brainstormings. Otherwise, these statements are going to just be like statements that make no sense. And when we want to really put them down into operation, then we see like we can't really do much. Mark, I saw you reacting to a lot of what Atusa was saying there. Uh, so please go ahead if you want to jump in. Yeah, thank you, Atusa. I, I, I certainly agree with, with a lot of what you said there. It's, um, it's very easy to monitor building a nuclear weapon where the products that go into that are very, very hard to come by. It's very, very easy to build an algorithm and to, and to, and to build AI. So um, a watchdog is, is a great headline. Um, it's the implementation of, of that watchdog. It's going to be hard. It's going to be very, very complicated. Um, and we certainly need to hear more about um, the thoughts around how this is going to be monitored um, and in, in, from what from what directions to, for it actually to be useful. Uh, David, let me get your thoughts on this. I mean, I mean, do you think that it's realistic that a, a watchdog can can be created and and can it be created in the kind of a timeline in order to actually be effective? Because AI, of course, is developing very very rapidly. Yeah, I mean. The way I think about that kind of question these days is not like, can it, but must it? And I think the answer to that is yes, we, we need all of these things to happen like as soon as possible. Um, so I don't know much about you know how, how things work at the UN actually uh, yet. Um, so uh, I don't know how long it's normally you would expect something like this to take. Um, but yeah, I, I think just to, to respond to this question of like what to monitor and, and how, how it makes sense. I mean, I agree that, you know, this, this is something that we should, uh, you know, there should be a lot of discussion about, but I think, I, I think it's actually pretty easy right now to monitor at least the largest AI models. Um, and those are actually very difficult to create and only a few organizations have the capacity to, I mean, arguably only OpenAI right now has the capacity to build a model like GPT-4. Um, and so I think if what we're most concerned about is the, the largest, you know, frontier models, uh, then it could be pretty easy to start monitoring models like that um, basically any time. Uh, you know, if we just have the political will to do it, you can monitor the, the large compute that is needed to build them. And uh, you can monitor the production and distribution of that compute. Um, so we're talking about, you know, uh, tens or possibly even hundreds of millions of dollars worth of computer chips that are, you know, specialized high-end chips uh, that all need to be co-located in the same facility. And over time, that might change as we get, uh, you know, cheaper, faster chips and better technologies. So uh, that might make monitoring more difficult over time. But I think we can start right now. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I think in that sense, it is actually more similar to nuclear weapons. Uh, if you care most about just the, the biggest models, which are the ones that I think are most likely to pose extinction risk in, in the near term, um, because you know, they're the ones that have the most intelligence and are uh, you know, potentially poised to become intelligent enough to get out of control. Uh, Atusa, um, aside from the draft law that was passed, uh, you also have the U.S. and the European Union drawing up a voluntary code of conduct for artificial intelligence. But as far as I understand, for this to be effective, it would need uh, the tech industry to basically sign up as well. And, and what I'm curious about is um, if you believe that for the tech industry to be involved, can they be trusted to be putting up safeguards for themselves, to be trying to regulate themselves? So I think we need to definitely have different forms of regulation, like some kind of self-regulation obviously is needed. And I think many um, like research labs and many AI companies already have some versions of self-regulation, like they have all some kind of like safety and ethics team or safety and transparency team or policy team. So they have the, uh, the research labs have some kind of like researchers and experts that are trying to somehow self-regulate. So we have, I think, a minimal level of uh, self-regulation within the companies, but that's just not enough because the systems can really disrupt human society at a global scale. Um, and so we definitely need to kind of bring the conversation to a more serious and more advanced stage where we kind of go and ask the tech uh, CEOs, for example, what do you mean exactly by self-regulation? So when Sam Altman, as one example, uh, talks about regulation and comes and says this is really important, this uh, the next stage is that he needs to come and say what does he exactly mean with self-regulation and or regulation in general, what he does not mean. Otherwise, we are going to just pass the words together and, and, and talk about things, and then the development of AI is going forward. And unfortunately, I think we would fail in properly regulating. So we need to get much more concrete, uh, bringing different stakeholders to the table, You know, bringing people who have done lots of work on responsible and ethical and safe AI for many years, bringing those experts and views on, on the table and the views of the CEOs of tech companies on the table, and put them into like dynamic and fruitful conversation. Otherwise, I don't think we're going to end up somewhere good. <laughs> David, I can see that you you wanted to jump in a, a lot there, so please go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything I just said. Um, yeah, just to add to that a little bit, I mean, I think short answer is like, no, we absolutely cannot trust tech companies to regulate themselves. I mean, I think uh, that's just you know, on the face of it, kind of absurd at the point that we're at when the even the CEOs of these companies are saying we need regulation, um, and and they're not just talking about self-regulation. Uh, now, I, I think, um, yeah, there are good people, I think, working on some of the policy and ethics teams at some of these companies, and they have some good ideas, um, so we should listen to them and bring them into the conversation. But uh, like Atusa said, they, we can't leave it up to them. I think, you know, the, the dynamics here is that uh, there is just there are just very powerful incentives to build more powerful AI systems, and at some point we may need to stop building more powerful AI systems. And if your business as a company is uh, founded on building more and more powerful AI systems, then that's going to be a significant threat to your business. And that means that I don't think in in you know a competitive profit-driven marketplace, uh, companies are going to take that kind of action when it's necessary. So we really need you know regulation that is able to step in and say what you're doing is not 
uh, safe, it's not trustworthy, it's unacceptable to develop or deploy this kind of system, and even if that's going to really hurt your bottom line, um, you just can't do it. Whereas a lot of the sort of self-regulation and regulation that we've seen so far is like, well, you know, you can do it, but you have to like do it this way or do a little bit of extra stuff, you know, on top. And it's not really drawing these hard lines in the sand that say, uh, you know, at this point, you are not allowed to to develop or deploy this kind of system anymore. Um, mm. But that's where we need to, to go, in my mind. <clears throat> Mark, whenever one talks about regulation, uh, concerns are raised about the possibility of over-regulation. I want to ask you about that specifically. If it's perceived that there is over-regulation on the part of the EU with this AI Act, um, would, would you essentially start seeing some big tech firms deciding to leave the EU and uh, essentially go and set up shop in a country with less regulations or possibly even the U.S.? I mean, is that one of the concerns for the EU right now in all of this? Um, it's, it's certainly a concern, yes. And I just want to pick up on one thing that I disagree with uh, uh, with, with David there, and that um, I, if regulation turned to limiting the use of AI or limiting the development of AI, we would lose a global sort of competitive advantage. I think focus for regulation should be around the fundamentals, around legal, around ethical, around safety standards, um, and, the, and, the, and those issues. And as long as we're working collaboration in the right way, um, then, then I think it's a very, very encouraging step forward. Um, I do think that limiting um, our ability and our computability would just put us at a disadvantage from other nations and from other, other areas of the world. And that would be a very, very worrying situation to be in. Um, in terms of, for me, um, and, uh, and the way in which I, I look at regulation, um, we, we are helping um, thousands of companies um, to, uh, to work more ethically as it stands. And there is a lot of self-regulation in tech right now um, that is um, that we would not have customers if we did anything unethical, if we did anything illegal. Um, so the, the self-regulation that we've had for years um, will, will still remain. I welcome governments getting involved and, uh, and putting a little bit more um, solidity behind, behind that work. Atusha, we don't have a lot of time left, but um, you know, we've spoken a lot about the complexities around this issue, the, the complexities in trying to build a framework for, for regulation, uh, for legislation. Uh, I want to ask you, I mean, how do you go about trying to strike a balance between progress and threat? That's a very good question. And I just want to say, I don't think there is, uh, you should not expect me or anyone else to give you like a simple answer to this question. But I want to kind of like um, say one thing that I, I imagine is really important. And mm -hmm. that is uh, that I hope the governments do not just listen to the way CEOs of big companies talk about regulation and then they, they don't want to kind of build up their ideas around how the CEOs want regulations to work. You know, there's this like, unfortunate narrative that some people in different governments do not understand technology and the CEOs and people who are coming from big companies understand technology. I don't think the space is this binary. There are people like me, there are people like David, there are so many other people in this space, um, so many people like over the years who have done loads of work on ethical AI, responsible AI, mm -hmm. and, and these communities of people who know about technology to a certain degree and know about regulation and policy and historical social complexities about that, 
uh, they, they need to mm -hmm. bring and uh, bring a very like loud voice into this space. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that's not what's happening in the US. That's not what's happening in the UK. And mm -hmm. I really hope that 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 changes. And I think if that changes, then we we are going to have more productive and hopefully optimistic uh, kind of conversations about how to go and resolve this super complicated trade-off problem, as you correctly mentioned. All right. Well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the discussion there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Atusa Kassirzadeh, Mark Simpson, and David Kruger. This episode was produced by Shantanu Chatterjee, Omikosum Sharif, Fungi Nguyen, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Philip Morrison. The program was edited by George Joseph Lin Nguyen and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday for our next episode. This week on The Take, immigrants and children of immigrants swept the prestigious James Beard Awards, one of the culinary world's highest honors. Is it a new era for American food? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.